In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to instruct the church at Corinth. He writes the book of 1 Corinthians to correct many things that are wrong within that church. Uh, we have two letters in our Bibles um, that the Apostle Paul has written to the church. We know from reading those letters that apparently the church has written to Paul and said, Paul, these are the things that's going on. What do you think? And he writes a letter in response to the things that he's heard, in response to their questions. And then they apparently sent him another question, and he sent a letter that we don't have. And then we also have 2 Corinthians. So he sent multiple correspondences to the church at Corinth, and two of them uh, we have uh, preserved for us in the Word of God. It's not that the other two letters, or however many he wrote, uh, or the letters he wrote to other churches, not in our Bible, or not uh, were not helpful to the church, or didn't contain truth. They just weren't Scripture uh, preserved uh, by God for uh, all of uh, time. The ones that letters that we have are the ones that God has preserved and He has placed in His Word that endures forever. And even if we were to discover those other letters, we would reject them as Scripture because just because something is old and ancient doesn't make it Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to um, uh, encourage them uh, about the resurrection of Christ. And basically, he says two things in this this particular uh, passage of Scripture, at least in the verses that we're going to look at. Um, He says, he talks about the truths of the resurrection, and then sort of the so what? What's the big deal? Um, whether or not it is true uh, or not. I think it's interesting that people today, they sort of want to say the same thing. If Christians want to believe that Christ was raised from the dead, so be it. Y'all believe that, and we don't. And so whether you believe it and live it and we don't believe it, it makes no difference whatsoever. Um, your lives aren't, doesn't really look any different than our lives. Um, and so we can just believe whatever we want to believe. If you want to believe that your God was raised from the dead, so be it. If we want to believe ours is not, so be it. But beloved, I want you to know this, and Paul teaches this in this particular passage of Scripture. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we are of all men, this passage says, to be pitied, and we might as well throw our Bibles away. We might as well get rid of this place and disperse all of our things and go do something else today. Because this is not just a a, a place to come and learn how to live life to the fullest. This is not a place to come and and simply be reminded of moral lessons and, and how we ought to treat one another. This is a place that we should come and come to regularly to announce that our God reigns and He is alive forevermore. That Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And because He overcame those things, beloved, you and I can will overcome those things as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read um, verse 3 and 4 to begin with. 
The Apostle Paul writing, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, I have to be real careful when I read that, and I have to read real slow and pay careful attention uh, to the text because twice it says, according to the Scriptures. What's the Scriptures? The Bible, the Word of God. Uh, years ago, when we were living in Rocky Mount, I had a, uh, a, one of our associate pastors. Uh, name was Scott and his wife, Letha, and their last name was Scripture. Scripture. Scott and I went to seminary together, and Michelle, I can't remember which one of, which one of our kids would say that, that, um, uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Well, I'm glad to know the associate pastor, youth pastor, was preaching that, but it's not according to Pastor Scott's Scripture. It's according to to the scriptures, the very word of God. As I alluded to earlier, if you think about all of the religions of the world, one thing is true, and that is that you can go around to the places and you can see the tombs, and in those tombs you will find the representative of that religion. You can see the tomb of Muhammad, and Muhammad was not good at coming out of the grave, but he, he was good at putting people into it. Uh, you can go to, to Confucius, you can go to Buddha, and all of these graves are famous, and people make these religious treks to go and see their religious leader's tomb and remains in, in that tomb. And they pattern their life over the one who is lying in that tomb. You know, what makes tombs famous and valuable majority of the time, right, except for Jesus, is, is who's, who's in there. Uh, how many people just recently traveled from around the world to come to Billy Graham's uh, graveside where, where he is? How many people travel around the world and they go to the tomb of the unknown soldier? And what makes that famous and gives that value are the contents of those tombs. People travel around the world to go see the, the tomb of Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther and, and all of these uh, famous people, religious or not. And, and, and they go there knowing that that person uh, is buried there in that tomb. But beloved, what makes the tomb of Jesus different is not for what's in it. It's for the of what's not in it. And that is He is alive. The tomb of Jesus is famous for what it does not contain. You might ask the question, what if Jesus had not risen? Well, a survey was done uh, recently about those who plan to attend Easter on Sunday. And they always tell you, invite people to come to your Easter service because 80% uh, of the people will respond uh, positively to an invitation. And, and, and several of those who respond positively will come. 
Uh, if they did a survey and said that 40% of Americans would definitely be attending an Easter service this year, and another 20% said that they may be going, may be going. And so that's great. So you probably figure maybe 50% or so of Americans will be uh, in church somewhere uh, today, hopefully hearing a gospel message and being reminded of the truth of, of Scripture in that regard. But the statistic that stood out to me was that 25% of the people who responded to that particular survey, 25% of the people don't really know the significance of today. They just know that like Christmas, it's a, it's a religious holiday, and it's the one that people go to. You tend to go to, if you don't go to church, you at least go to two services a year. Make your way to a Christmas service, and if you go in that time, it's shorter. And make your way to Easter service, because that's a big deal, and you can dress real fancy and pretty and see all the pretty colors and all those things, and you can even match, you know, like our family matches today. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> But you think about the truth of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection. It's vitally important that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. When it comes to the reality of the resurrection, there are typically people even Christians who doubt it. In our hearts, it's the right thing to say, this is what happened. But oftentimes, when we think about all that had to happen and take place, and we ask all the questions relating, oftentimes doubts can come in. When these doubts come in, it sometimes is a struggle to decide, I, I want to believe it, but there's so many other theories out there that give plausible evidence, perhaps, they would say, into what really happened and took place on that day. How could anyone, anyone, be raised from the dead? So they've come up with these theories, and if you'll go to any number of churches today, though perhaps maybe 50% of Americans will find themselves in church somewhere today, not every one of those 50% who attend churches will attend a church that believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You say, well, if they don't believe that, what do they believe? They believe that Jesus was a rabbi, that he was a good teacher, he was a great example, he was a good man. But they believe that he did not die, um, or if he died, there's another explanation for his resurrection. I can give you three of them just real quickly. If you've never heard these, maybe worth writing down. As you talk to people about what you believe about the gospel, these are typically some of the ideas that have been floating around really for centuries about what exactly took place. One is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory. 
The swoon theory says that that uh, Jesus on the cross because of the loss of blood and being on the cross for forty hours and 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 because of or, or being without food and water for forty hours, being on the cross for six hours, and those things that he went into a coma. Swoon theory says that he didn't actually die. Um, he went into a coma and he was placed in that tomb. And the significance of the tomb is that it was carved out of stone. And so therefore it would be cool and it would be damp inside that tomb. And the swoon theory says that they took Jesus and placed him in that cold, uh, moist tomb and he resuscitated uh, and, and, uh, from his uh, coma, that he survived the ordeal and that he really didn't die. Now, perhaps on some levels, people might say, well, I mean, that's, that could be plausible, except for a couple of things. Remember the ones who killed him. The ones who killed them were professional executioners. They believed that he was dead, and they put people to death on a regular basis. They even took the spear, and they pierced his side and went into his uh, heart wall, and blood and water came out indicating the death of the one uh, who was there. They took him, and they wrapped him, and he was placed in that tomb. And just think about this. Even if he was just in a coma and placed in that tomb and was resuscitated by the cool dampness of that tomb, he would have had to wiggle out of the grave clothes. He would have rolled, had to roll a ton, ton and a half stone uphill in order to get out. It's interesting that the Romans were the first ones to report that Jesus was alive. The Roman soldiers were the first ones to report that he was alive. And they were the ones who made sure he was dead. A second theory that people have kind of uh, looked to as plausible answers to account for the um, resurrection of Jesus Christ is that that and again these are these are um, not valid uh, excuses and reasons I'm trying to give you that but some parts have some truth to it this one is called the wrong tomb theory the wrong tomb theory and in the wrong tomb theory um, it says that the women got confused now that's the part that we can believe I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding it says that the women put Jesus into the tomb and when they went back on Sunday morning to to put the spices on his body and to have the, the soldier, whoever they could, to roll his way to, to properly prepare the body for burial, that they got confused and went to the wrong tomb. And then when they went and told Peter and the disciples... Um, that 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 the tomb was empty. This theory says that Peter and the disciples they believed the women and did not follow up to see if it was true. They just believed them and continued to uh, perpetuate uh, a lie. Um, we we certainly know that uh, they they would know where they were. 
They would certainly know where Jesus was buried. They certainly would know. How would they know? Because Mark chapter 15, verse 47 says that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus were looking on to see where he was laid. So they didn't go to the wrong tomb. They went to the right tomb. They went to see where he was laid. And you can't tell me that when they went to see where he was laid on Friday, by Sunday morning, they had already forgotten. It's just really not plausible to believe that they went to the wrong tomb. Another one is mass uh, hallucination theory. The mass hallucination theory says that, that the disciples and all of his followers missed him so much. And as they were there gathered together and telling stories and reflecting or, or recalling, that they missed him so much um, that they worked themselves up until... They saw him. This theory says that, that, you know, you have a tendency to see the things that you want to see. The things that you, uh, that your eyes are um, uh, longing or desiring to see are the things that you will see. When something is brought to your attention, brought to the light, that you will begin to see that uh, everywhere. I've demonstrated that on numerous occasions. Um, for example, when I bought a silver truck that I thought very few people own a silver truck until what happened? I bought one and then I began to look for and see what I wanted to see. In the mass hallucination theory, that they worked themselves up until they saw him. Well, beloved, they saw him, but they didn't work themselves up. They saw him because he was alive. In fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them not just on that night, but appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. In fact, he didn't just show up on that particular night. The Bible records uh, at least 10 different appearances, post-resurrection appearances of Christ. First of all, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared appeared to the women. And then he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to Peter uh, individually as well. Luke 24 records that he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus and and walked with them and talked with them. Then he appeared to the ten apostles minus Judas and Thomas, of course, uh, wasn't there. And then a little bit later, he he, um, met again with all of the apostles a week later, including uh, Thomas, who was there. He met with several disciples. Then he, uh, which he cooked fish and ate with them. The Bible says that then he he uh, 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 was seen by over five hundred disciples. Lastly, he appeared to John to James, his half brother, a special appearance there. The Bible doesn't say much about it other than the fact that it happened. And then, of course, to all of the disciples on uh, Mount Olive in uh, Galilee, where he gave the great commission and ascended into heaven. He didn't, he wasn't this ghostly figure that was seen only at night in the midst of the fog and what it could be. 
In fact, the Bible says that he was viewed in the morning. He made appearances in the afternoon. He met with individuals. He met with groups. He asked them questions. He answered their questions. He corrected them in some areas and gave commands in others. Friends, if Jesus was only a mass hallucination, there are a whole lot of details that have to be worked out, a whole lot of things that have to be overcome to even validate that that would even be a possibility. And of course, we know that that's not a possibility. We know that Jesus indeed was raised from uh, the dead. In fact, there's one account. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, uh, one account, here's the, the, how um, the, the Roman soldiers and the government tried to uh, hide it. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, Um, the Bible says this. Um, this is talks about Jesus uh, was uh, was risen, and that verse eleven says that while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, "You are to say." And this is Matthew twenty-eight verse thirteen. You are to say his disciples came by night and stole away. Uh, stole him away while we were asleep. Now, where did this story came from? This is what he says. This is recorded. Matthew's recording this in his gospel. And, and this, this gospel would have been written later on. It wasn't written. It wasn't written at the time the events happened. It was written a couple of decades later. And here's what Matthew says. He says, you're to say uh, that, the, that the, um, the elders consulted together and they said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And decades later, when Matthew is recording these events under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, and is the same story, and is to this day. It's interesting if you look in, there was a historian named Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr wrote outside of biblical, uh, the biblical accounts, and, and he said this. He said the authority sent representatives. This is what uh, he, he, the historian, recorded in his history, historical um, uh, records. He said authority, authorities sent representatives throughout the Mediterranean region telling that the disciples stole the body of Jesus and lied about the resurrection and lied about the resurrection. The question I have with that theory is who would die for their own lie? Oh, we might lie to get out of trouble. We might lie to delay a judgment. We might lie when we get back in a corner. Now, I know you're here today, and you say, I would never tell a lie, liar. <laughs> Given the right situation and circumstances for the right reason that you think would benefit you, right? We would call it a small lie. That would be by our account, probably not by others. But who would tell a lie and believe that lie 
to the point of death. And I'm not talking about getting everybody in the room and shining a flashlight in their eye until one of them cracks and then all of them do and none of them crack. They're together in that room together. They all went to their deaths proclaiming a lie. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about each one individually living their life as though Jesus was raised from the dead and facing suffering and persecution and martyrdom because of the lie that they told and believed. The Bible says that all of the apostles except one died horrific deaths believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, the Bible says, or not the Bible, but history tells us that Matthew suffered martyrdom. Matthew, the one who wrote Matthew's gospel, suffered martyrdom um, at, when he was thrust through with the sword in Ethiopia preaching Jesus. Peter, we know, was crucified upside down in Rome. Mark was drugged through the streets in the uh, city of Alexandria. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James, the son of Alphaeus, he was, get this, he was thrown down from a high place on the temple wall. And when that didn't kill him, they stoned him with stones. And when that didn't kill him, they beat him with a heavy club. And he died believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Andrew was bound to a cross and he preached the gospel to the men crucifying him. Thomas, the one who had doubts and who questioned, he was run, he, um, uh, was run through the body with a lance in East India. Thaddeus was shot to death by arrows. Simon and Philip were crucified. Only John died a natural death. And only after boiling him in oil in a cauldron that didn't kill him, after when he was 85 years old, banished him to the Isle of Patmos and left him there where he received the book of Revelation and ultimately after a change of political leadership was released and went back to do ministry in Ephesus believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. Beloved, I'm telling you, these people believed that Jesus was raised from the dead and they were willing to give their life for the cause of Christ and give their life for the gospel and preaching that Christ was raised from the dead. And if I can just be direct and blunt and honest with you, so many Christians today don't want to be inconvenienced for the gospel, let alone give their lives for it. It does matter. It does matter. The truth of Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. But beloved, the significance or the application of that resurrection is undeniable as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 19 um, 1 Corinthians 15 1 through 19 talk about the facts of Christ's um, resurrection. And basically it says two things. 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 10, says that if Jesus did not die, uh, your faith is fatal, is futile, and your testimonies uh, are null and void. In other words, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 2, the testimony of the church is null and void if Christ did not, was not raised from the dead. Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, where, and by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in, in vain. In other words, he's saying the gospel came to you through the ministry of the church. And if Jesus be not raised from the dead, the testimony of the church is in vain. It's futile, and we can throw it out, and we don't need it. He goes on to say in verses 3 and 4 that if Jesus did not was not raised from the dead, that your, the testimony of Scripture is futile and needs to be thrown out. Notice what he says, For I delivered to you of, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Twice he says, I read it earlier, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures, if Christ did not was not raised according to the Scriptures, if he did not die according to the Scriptures, was not raised according to the scriptures, then folks, you can take your Bible and you can trash it. You can get rid of it because it is not true and therefore it is not trustworthy. 5 through 7 says he might as well throw out the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And he said that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all of the apostles. You can throw away the eyewitness testimonies. If Christ was not raised from the dead, all of these people are liars and they are proclaiming this truth in vain. And then 8 through 10 talks about special witnesses. Here's the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You know that Paul was hostile to the church. He was hostile to Christianity. He was hostile to the gospel. He was responsible for the deaths of Christians and those who proclaimed and pronounced Jesus. And then Jesus met with him on the road to Damascus and his life was forever changed and he lived his life. But beloved, if Jesus be not raised from the dead, you can take everything that the Apostle Paul did and throw it out because it was all in vain. All ministry is in vain if Jesus didn't raise. Do you, you see how important it is? Do you see, beloved, the importance of the resurrection? Everything hinges on the truth for Christianity that Jesus is alive. If Jesus is not alive, then it makes no difference whatsoever. It makes no difference whatsoever if Jesus be not raised from the dead. But, beloved, if he is alive then all of these things are worthy of us giving not only our time and our talents, but our very lives too as well. Verses 12 through 14 says that all preaching is in vain if Christ be not raised from the dead. 
Notice what it says in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that He has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. You're wasting your time listening to me today. You wasted your time Friday night at our Good Friday night ser- our Good Friday service. You wasted your time Thursday at Monday Thursday. You wasted your time uh, last Sunday and the Sunday before and the Sunday before and the Sunday before. You've wasted your all of these years, all of this time listening to all these preachers. And you might be thinking, I wish I listened to one that preached a little bit shorter. Then I wouldn't quite have wasted so much time. I got good news for you. He's alive. And because he's alive, listen, all of this is not in vain. Amen. It's not in vain. Verse 15 and 16 says that your testimony is not in vain. Notice what it says. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Stop cheering your testimony. If Christ is not raised, then no one has been sacrificed for your sins. And beloved, you are still in your sins, lost without hope if Christ be not raised from the dead. And therefore, you need to cut out the witnessing. Stop telling other people about Jesus because notice what it says here. Verse 15, verse 15, and also verse 17. If, if Verse 15 says, because we testified against God that He raised Christ... So and our so our testimonies in vain. Verse seventeen: If Christ be not be not raised, your faith is worthless. Stop sharing it. If Jesus be not raised from the dead, verse seventeen: B, you're still in your sin. You're not cleansed. If Christ uh, be not raised from the dead, your future hope is in vain. Because verse 18 says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. Beloved, if Christ be not raised from the dead, there's no possibility that you're going to see those who have gone on before you ever again. There is no future hope of life after death if Christ be not raised from the dead. And therefore, verse 19 says, there's no future promise if we have hoped in Christ in this life only. We are of all men. Now look at this. Most to be pitied. Let's let that sink in for just a moment. Preaching's in vain. Testifying is in vain. Witnessing is in vain. Your future hope is in vain. Your future promise is in vain if Christ be not raised from the dead. But if He did, then all of this is not for naught. This is going to sting. But I want you to hear it because it comes from my heart. And I'm not casting stones. I'm not pointing fingers without having three fingers pointed at me. 
But beloved, if you're not preaching, sharing the Word of God with people, and testifying, and witnessing, and explaining how people can be cleansed from their sin, and sharing about the future hope and promise, even though those things are true because Christ is alive, you are living your life as though He were dead. When is the last time? When is the last time, beloved, that you engage someone with the gospel of Christ? When's the last time you shared your testimony? When is the last time that you offered a future hope and promise in such a way that someone could hear and understand and come to believe the gospel as God works in their life? This is, listen, church... Church is not to be a memorial remembering someone who's died in the past. And beloved, church is not to be a museum where people go and look at old relics and show their appreciation for them. The church is to be a movement and we're to be marching forward and carrying the good news of the gospel forward. We are to be going and telling because we've come and we've seen and now we go and now we tell and beloved if you're coming and seeing but not going and telling then perhaps to you church is a memorial service or it's a museum but God's called us to a movement and therefore we are to march forth we are to come and behold our God and we're to go and tell others about the Christ who is alive. Certainly those, all of these things would be in vain for those who was carrying, who, who are engaged in these activities. If Christ was dead, Paul the Apostle is right. We are of all men to be most pitied. But I believe if you know that Christ is alive and not engaging in the spiritual work of ministry and sharing Christ with others and celebrating in the resurrection and rejoicing in all the things and, and, then, and, and, and being more than a recipient of His goodness and His grace and, and more than just a, a recipient of, uh, of membership into the family of God. And you're not going and telling and sharing the good news with others. I think that's the one who is to be most pitied. You can take any disease you want to on the face of the earth. You can take any crisis situation, any dilemma you want to whatsoever. But you you identify what it is. If someone had the cause, the cure, or the way to alleviate it and did not share it, you would think worse of them than the person who did not believe it was real. If you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then I'm telling you, just like these apostles, He's worth giving your time to. He's worth giving your treasure to. He's worth giving your life to for the sake of the Gospel. And my prayer is that God 
would make Christ alive in all of us and that we would see Him as He is, that we would encounter Him in the study of His Word. And when we share the good news of the gospel, we will see that He is alive because He is doing the work of transforming lives of those to whom we are sharing. You and I do not have the ability to raise someone from the dead, but God does. And Christ has chosen the gospel by which to raise people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and made alive in Christ. And he's entrusted that gospel to us. But I know it's common to doubt. Someone says, I'm telling you right now, preacher, I have never, ever had a doubt. My question would be, have you ever had a thought? But I want you to understand that there is enough, there is enough evidence. Well, if I could just get all my questions answered, I would believe. You know what I found in talking to those people? Is they always have just one more question. Just one more question, just one more question. You want to know why? Because you can't come to Christ by way of the head. You come to Christ by way of the heart. There are enough answers to the questions to lead any reasonable person who will do an investigative study of the truthfulness of the resurrection of Christ. But beloved, knowledge puffs up. What they need is not another answer to another question. They need the transforming power of the gospel. They need God to do the work in their life, to open their eyes that they may see the wonderful truths of Christ. May you and I be faithful to believe that Jesus is alive. May you and I be faithful to live our life as though He is alive. And may you and I be faithful even to the point of death if that's what's required, believing He is alive. We don't need passivity any longer in the church. We need Christian soldiers onward with the gospel and proclaiming the truth of His Word. But beloved... It begins with a personal relationship with Christ. Are you sure? Are you sure that God has done the work of regeneration in your life? Or do you have doubts about that? I want you to know that God wants to save you. If you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, He does the work of salvation in your life. Every person who who is saved... They have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is who He says He is. That He did what He said He did. And He overcame death, hell, and the grave in order for you to believe that He is the Son of God. And by believing on His name, you repent and believe the Gospel and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in that confession comes action doing, testifying that the words of your mouth are true. If you are not confident 
in your saving relationship with Christ, then, beloved, I would encourage you not to leave here today until we talk. And let's answer some questions. Let's look at Scripture. Let's be certain if we can. And if not, then let's pray and let God do the work of regeneration in your heart perhaps this week. But beloved, if you are here and you are confident beyond all measure if you die today that you are going to go to heaven, then my question for you is, are you living it? And does anyone else around you know that to be true of you by the way that you live your life and by the way that you share Christ with others. May it be so for His glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the undeniable proofs of the resurrection. And thank You that these are not just theological ideas and concepts to be believed. But Father, they impact our lives on so many levels in so many ways. Father, I pray that we would search the Scriptures before in them we will come to know You and to know what it means to have eternal life. Father, I pray that You would meet each and every one of us at our point of need. If the lost need to be saved, God, only You can save them. If the saved need to be strengthened, God, would you do that work as well? If there's some who are doubting, God, overcome their doubts with confidence and give them love and boldness to share the gospel with others. Father, may all of us be willing, if you were to so call on us, to follow the example of the martyrs and be willing, if necessary and called upon, to give our life for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray that you would convict us of hypocrisy where our lives don't align with the gospel. I pray, Father, that you would give us godly sorrow in the areas where we fall short, that we may confess and be renewed, that we may see God through the pages of Scripture and be confident in our ministry to others. God, keep us close and clean and on fire for you as we come and see and as we go and tell, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. 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 Look.